0: Welcome to the Red View Blue View podcast. This is Shelley. I'm our Blue View and I have a special guest with me today who also considers herself blue. My friend Jessica, another working mom whose family has been greatly affected like so many families by COVID. She's joining us today because we're talking about COVID-19. Jessica and I are not doctors. We, like you, are listeners who have each had our own experience during this pandemic and who have witnessed a time in our world unlike anything in our lifetimes. Thanks for joining us, Jessica. Thanks for having me. Can you, Jessica, tell our listeners about your family's experience with COVID?
1: Sure, yeah, we were really early on the curve. Um, In early, early March, my mom went to Vail and met with an owner of a hotel there. And we kind of all knew a little bit about coronavirus, but you know, she met her friend, her friend was coughing a little bit. She hugged her friend, they talked for 10 minutes inside, 10 or 15 minutes together, they hugged and left. And um, her friend was like, oh, I've just got some allergies. And then my mom came home a few days later and um, I went to go out with her and I had her in the car and she was coughing a little bit and she didn't make the connection. I was like, mom, do you have coronavirus? Ha ha ha. You know, she's like, oh, that's that's so funny. No, it's my allergies (laughs) because this is early March and allergy season's beginning. That was it. But and my husband was in the car with us, too. But after we got out of the car with her, my husband's like, let's clean our hands really quick. And we like sanitized and we got home and we washed everything. We were like, just in case, but it was still really early. Um, Colorado had not locked down. We did No one knew anybody with it. It was just like, that's something happening over there in China. Then on March 10th, uh, my family was getting ready to go. We were gonna go on a, a spring break trip and the first one was canceled. We were going to go on a cruise, and that was canceled. And then we thought, okay, well, we'll go to Great Wolf Lodge. And then that closed. And we said, okay, well, let's just drive to Mesa Verde. And then they ended up closing that. So we get all the way to Vail, right about Vail. And um, we're in our in our van. Um, Roz starts saying, I just don't feel that good. And I was like, oh, well, you know, I, I we just heard that President Trump was getting ready to, to declare a national state of emergency. And we were like, you know what? This cannot be good. And um, we pulled over to turn around, and it was like near a Walmart in Fail, and there was just like hordes of people going in and hordes of people coming out with giant amounts of groceries we thought "Ooh, this is not good we need to go home we need to go home so we had a two-hour drive home but first we were like we better go into walmart real quick and get some food because <laughs> <laughs> this is not a good sign so we got some food we went home and then later that night he came down with a fever um and by then my mom had had a fever and she was, we didn't know it was coronavirus yet, but she was just not feeling well. And she lives alone. So we didn't like put our eyes on her or anything, but we kind of, she, we knew she, she said, oh, I'm just feeling sick and I have a fever and I'm not feeling good. By Sunday or Friday night, Roz was really sick. By Sunday night, I had gotten sick. There was a period where we both were very, very sick. And by now, um, school had said that we're not going back um, for, at least for that, you know, the week after spring break, spring break was the following week, we were just like, this is serious, this probably isn't isn't looking good for us. We probably have it. We told my mom, we think you have it too. And she's like, no, I don't. I'm a really healthy person. I've never even had the flu. And she just wouldn't believe that she had had it. And then I got really sick. We were both sick for a while and we had our kids. And then of course our kids are really young. So then they got sick. They were sick only for a day. It was really easy for them maybe just a day of a fever for both of them and a little cough and a little sore throat. But Roz and I were really sick. Roz was sick, though, only for about three days or four days, kind of like laid up in bed. And I was laid up in bed for like seven days.
0: Hmm.
1: Um, So we had different kind of courses of it, but both felt like it was the worst we had ever, the sickest we'd ever been because knock on wood, we had never been seriously sick, you know, aside from like a flu, which isn't serious for our age. So it, it just felt like a really terrible flu, but totally different symptoms. Weird things like losing your sense of taste and smell, um, which by the way, took a couple of weeks to get back. So during that period, we were taking care of our kids. They got sick. We got sick. Everyone got sick. We knew we shouldn't go out. Um, on Wednesday of that week that I was sick, my mom went into the hospital. They said we were treating you as presumed positive for COVID. I was still really sick. So it was hard for me to kind of comprehend what was going on and all of that. Um, but I knew she was in a safe place and she was at the hospital. It took a, from, from that Wednesday till the following Monday to get her results back, and of course it was positive. So she went in from that Wednesday. She was in about two weeks or almost three weeks. About a day and a half, two days after she got to the hospital, they put her on a ventilator in the middle of the night. And they didn't call anyone or tell us, and I didn't know a lot about ventilators, but I knew that I had seen online that it was just not good when someone got to the, the point of being on a ventilator. So. Um, and I was really upset because when we talked to them that morning when we woke up, because we were talking to the hospital every day, they notified us and we didn't know that when you're on a ventilator, necessarily, you have a tube down your throat, you've got the whole intubation. And so that means that you can't talk. And to put a tube down someone's throat for long periods of time, they put you into a kind of a medically induced coma. So she was on full life support in a coma with a tube down her throat. And I thought, well, now we can't even talk to her. And I was re- it was really um, sad because it felt like that happened so fast. I did not expect right. that to happen so fast. I, I would have said some things to her if I knew that was going to be it because you just don't know if they're going to be able to come out. And on top of that, hospitals have locked down, so you couldn't go in and see anyone.
0: Even had you been healthy, you couldn't have gone. No,
1: no one could. They didn't let any, any, any visitors, except for a, apparently a birthing woman can have her, her partner with her. Um, or if you have a child that's sick, one person's allowed. It was really really scary she kept getting worse and worse and worse and her ventilator it started they have something called peep which is like the pressure that the ventilator um, puts forward and then they have the oxygen level so she was at the highest oxygen with the highest peep at the very beginning Just as sick as you could be and she wasn't getting any better nothing was helping they gave her that z-pack and you know the azithromycin that trump had talked about and that didn't help at all, and she still had a fever. Her body was producing way more of an immune response than it should have, um, an over-response. So she went into this thing called a cytokine storm, and then she was diagnosed with uh, severe pneumonia and ARDS. So at this point, the doctors were like, she's not looking very good. It's not, their words were, it's not looking promising. Someone said, and I don't remember who, but kind of like, you should probably look in and make sure that you've got this like, you know, healthcare power of attorney and all those things. And of course, my mom didn't have that. That was extra um, scary. But um, since this was early on, we had the ability to be a part of a study, my mom did, for a medicine. I don't know if this is gonna help anyone else. Um, If it does come out later, I think it'd be great. It was called Actemra. They had to bring it in from out of state. There were 400 people in the U.S. that they were giving this one dose to. Apparently, it's very expensive. It's also used for rheumatoid arthritis because it um, stops an over-response on your immune side. But I don't know why it was expensive, but apparently it was. And it was not FDA approved for COVID-19, but she was part of the study. So they brought in the one dose, and I had to go into the hospital. And by then, I was um, better and had been cleared. Um, I forgot to tell you that the state... Uh, epidemiologists called me and was kind of. They, since my mom was confirmed positive and we had it, they weren't doing contact tracing of any sort. She didn't care. In fact, I was like, Do you want to know the people I saw? No, she didn't at that time. I don't know if they will now. She cleared me to be able to go out by that time. So I went to the hospital. I signed paperwork for my mom. They made us sign it outside. They wouldn't let us go in. She had one dose of Actemra, and within 24 hours, her fever went down. Her immune response went down. Different levels that they monitor, like C-reactive proteins, went to a normal level. And it just was an amazing turn- turnaround in such a quick amount of time. It She turned the corner from being someone that they thought, this isn't looking good, mm-hmm. um, to actually we can turn down the peep, we can turn down the oxygen. And a few days after that, about maybe four or five, she was able to go off of the ventilator.
0: And I remember you told me they gave her that one dose, the only dose given in Colorado. She was maybe the sickest person in Colorado. Right at that, time. at that
1: time. Yeah, and who was also a candidate for that. I don't know. Maybe there are people who aren't a candidate. I don't know. But yeah,
0: interesting. I know during that time you had a really hard time and thought that she was dying mm-hmm. um, and were pretty fearful of
1: that. Yeah. Well, that was that was probably the worst part. I felt you know kind of unable to eat, unable to sleep, really scared that she was going to die in there and she would die alone you know, with very few people coming in to see her because every time someone right. goes in, they have to have their full PPE on and they were already, you know, aware that they needed to conserve PPE. So she wasn't getting a lot of people coming to see her. And I was thinking she could die totally alone. I will not be able to say the things I wanted to be able to say. And that was that was the worst part of it. And then of course, you know, just, because everyone always imagines when your parent is going to die, you think when my parent dies in the future, I will be by their side. I will be there, you know, in their last moments and they, they won't die alone no matter what. It was just never in my mind that someone could die alone. It was so traumatic. Um, I had actually someone reach out to me on Facebook and she said, Hey, I'm a, I'm a trauma counselor. And I, you know, whether you know it or not, this is very traumatic for you. This is like if someone loses a parent to a car accident or something where they're just gone suddenly and you, and you can't, yeah, suddenly you can't do all the things you thought you'd be able to say
0: and do and be there. So it was it was really, really traumatic. Well, you said they intubated her in the middle of the night, so you didn't know it was going to happen. Right. And I think I asked you previously my about my speculative, uneducated theory that with COVID patients, it seemed like there was a lot of intubation, and I was worried that maybe with that particular disease, uh, unless unless absolutely necessary, which I think it was in many cases, I'm sure it was, that I, I was worried that that was contributing to some of the deaths because I know my cousin's wife is a nurse, and she always says, once you put someone on a ventilator, your first priority should be trying to get them back off, starting mm-hmm. immediately. Mm-hmm. And so I worried about that with COVID treatment, but you told me that you did not think that was the case with your mom. She needed to be put on, and right there was no, no question about that. Yeah, for sure,
1: and I think since you're able, one is able to, doctors and nurses to adjust the PEEP and adjust the oxygen levels, you know, it doesn't seem like there would be overuse of ventilation unless people are very not paying attention to those levels. They can always adjust. It's very customizable.
0: Right. Thank you for sharing that story about your mom. And I'm sorry that you went through that, that she went through that. She's okay now? She's
1: awesome. She's doing so, so well. She did not have any pre-existing conditions or underlying um, conditions.
0: And so she has healed, her lungs have healed. We saw a pulmonologist, she's doing great. I'm so glad to hear that. And uh, obviously you are as well. Mm -hmm. Um, So let's talk about some of the numbers now. Like I say, we're in mid June. So we have numbers uh, coming in now that maybe we didn't have at the beginning of this pandemic. There was a lot of modeling. Criticism of the modeling has been well, modeling is often wrong, and uh, now we have actual numbers to look at. Um, I was reading just the other day a study out of Stanford called The Infection Fatality Rate of COVID 19 Inferred from mm-hmm. Seroprevalence Data. It's by Dr. John P.A. Ionitis. And his study uh, looked at 12 other studies about the infection fatality rate with respect to COVID, in other words, how deadly it is. Mm-hmm. Seven of those 12 studies had, quote, inferred IFRs, again, infection fatality rate, in the range of 0.07 to 0.2, which is similar to IFR values of seasonal influenza. Three studies were modestly higher than that, and that is 0.25 to 0.4 in uh, Geneva, Wuhan, and two were modestly lower than that in Kobe and another city of 0.02 to 0.03, so I was reading some of these s- recent studies, and then I also noticed just the other day in the Denver Post, there was a chart that shows in Colorado, each of the COVID outbreaks and how many people died in each outbreak. The Denver Post did not add it up for you, but if you manually added up just the ones from nursing homes, assisted living, jails, um, you read deaths, it was pretty much most of the deaths, the overwhelming majority of deaths in Colorado due to COVID were old people. Yes. Yeah. Well, not just old people, but people actually, right. unfortunately, sort of locked up, vulnerable people. Uh, yeah. That was sad to me to see. Basically, these are vulnerable people, sort of locked up in wherever they are, and you, you know, no one can visit them, and they, and yes, elderly. So I thought, well, the IFR, the rates that I was just speaking of from the Stanford study, um, obviously, are much lower for the rest of the population who is not elderly or not not otherwise ill with, with other illnesses, and so it's got to be a fraction of that, somewhere between 0.01 to 0.03%. Um, Italy reported a few days ago that 96% of Italians who died from COVID-19 had other illnesses and were on average 80 years old. And so the data looks like statistically, while an elderly person in a nursing or assisted living facility has a high chance of dying from COVID, a school aged child faces statistically almost zero chance of mm-hmm. dying from, from COVID. So I've been interested lately, in, and you, like uh, me, you're a working mom, uh, interested in schools and whether they're going to reopen and what, uh, under what circumstance they'll reopen. So let's talk about that for a minute. What, what is your position on whether schools should reopen sort of as usual?
1: I'll I'll say I think they absolutely need to go back full time as they were with all 30 kids. That said, people who have older grandparents at home or immunocompromised children or family members at home, uh, I think those people should have the option certainly to remote school.
0: Okay. And I guess some listeners might be surprised to hear you say that after everything you went through with your family um, and almost losing your mom, because there has been some, I guess the way of thinking is, well, children can be vectors of disease. We know that because all of us have caught a cold that our kid came home with or whatever. Um, But what I've read recently is that closing school, I agree with you, closing school makes almost no sense given what we now know about COVID, except for potentially protecting teachers over the age of a certain age, there was a doctor, Peter Anderson, of infectious disease at the Danish Serum Institute. He said just about a week or so ago to the media that, quote, you cannot see any negative effects from the reopening of schools. And then also in Finland, a top official announced similar findings recently, uh, suggesting that there's been no wider spread of coronavirus And schools reopened there in mid-May. Similarly, in Northern Ireland, this May 28th article uh, study said that there was no evidence of secondary transmission of COVID-19 from children attending school in Ireland. In that study, I read it, it says basically children do not appear to be drivers of transmission of this disease, which surprised me a little bit.
1: And I wonder, by the way, if that's because they're not very um, symptomatic. They just, they have it so mild that they're viral. And this is, I'm not a doctor, but um, I know that there is a, about getting it has to do with your viral load, which is why doctors and nurses get it so much stronger because they've got multiple people giving it to them. So the children have such viral, um, low viral load and low viral shedding that maybe they're not big drivers of it.
0: Right. So you, you think school should reopen pretty much as, as usual, despite your experience. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So it's for a couple of reasons. One, if I start with kind of the most selfish reason, my husband and I are both college educated and I feel like we did a terrible job educating our children at home. (laughs) I feel like we really, really failed. Um, So I think most people are not trained teachers and are not good at that. So I think our kids' educations are all going to um, suffer if we continue this. Right. Two, obviously, there's a social-emotional component that really matters to kids. One of the main jobs of childhood is to learn how to kind of be a person in the world and socialize. Um, So the social emotion, emotional component is a a really big one when you are locking kids up, especially the third one, it has to do with, there are some children in parts of this country that are in poverty and their only meal is at school. They're on free and reduced lunch. They get breakfast at school. They get lunch at school. And if they're not, if they're not at school, these kids are missing out on food. So that's another, another issue. Um, Fourth, domestic abuse has gone up so much with people home. Um, it's bringing parents to their absolute brink. It's hurting you know, parents' abilities to go back to work. That's another thing. This is going to cripple the economy until parents can get back to work. And if parents have children at home, they can't get back to work very easily. So domestic abuse has gone up. Um, teachers and other people at school are mandatory reporters. They don't have their eyeballs on those kids anymore. So right. I think that's another problem. And then like we talked about, kids um, tend to get it very, very mild. So I think I think all of those are reasons why we need to put kids back in school. And the people who are vulnerable, they, they should and, and could
0: stay cocooned at home. Right. I agree with you. I think the the risks of kids falling behind at that point, if we go into the fall or winter, um, we're talking, you know, kids being a year behind in math. They're already behind at this point yeah. or other important subjects. Um, so I worry about the, as a as a country, why we would, do that to our children uh, educationally Two, the as you point out this social emotional aspects of school are so important to mental health and to the health of the children yeah. uh, kids need to be playing with each other they need to go to recess together they need to have social interaction uh, they so, need all that and uh, and to deny them of that for an extended period yeah. i think a few weeks you know in right. the spring was fine to deny them a of that for, for, for many months is, uh, very unhealthy mentally for the child. I worry about suicide rates. I worry about, yeah. I worry about the mental health of, of children. So I share your concerns. Uh, I think, I think kids should be back in school. Now, some will say, well, maybe with certain precautions, Right, uh, and by the way, I think kids need to be back in school five days a week because yes. that's you know, or the you know enough to get a full time education. But some people will say that you know there's certain CDC guidelines or precautions mm-hmm. that should be taken. I actually happen to think that they should just go back to school as usual, with the exception of maybe some changes like more supervised hand washing. Yeah. Kids kids lie about washing their hands. Mm-hmm. Uh, they should maybe be washing their hands four times a day or something like that. Um, I am against my child having to wear a mask at school, and so I'm curious to ask you what you think of that. Let me tell you about the research that I read just recently on that. Including
1: how the WHO changed their opinion on it?
0: Right. The WHO just changed their opinion on it, and they have said if you do not have any respiratory symptoms, such as a fever, cough, or runny nose, you do not need to wear a mask, that they should be used by healthcare workers and caretakers or people who are sick with the symptoms of fever and cough. And then there was an article um, by a Canadian physicist, D.J. Rancourt, uh, specifically about COVID, and uh, the article was entitled, Masks Don't Work, a Review of the Science Related to COVID-19 Social Policy. And he says, quote, masks and respirators do not work. There have been extensive randomized controlled trial studies and meta-analysis reviews of RCT studies, which all show that masks and respirators do not work to prevent Respiratory influenza-like illnesses or respiratory illnesses believed to be transmitted by droplets and aerosol particles. Um, There's also an older pre-COVID study, a 2015 British Medical Journal study on masks that says, talks about cloth masks. Mm -hmm. And um, the the study, the results of the study caution against the use of cloth masks, specifically because moisture retention, reuse of the cloth masks and poor filtration may result in increased risk of infection. And here we have all of us uh, wearing our cloth masks around town and, and in establishments, not to mention the CO2 that we're breathing in. So I worry about the effects of that on little kids mm-hmm. and on school age children, especially all day, multiple days, every day. What do you think about uh, masks and other, other precautions that uh, some parents might want to see in schools? Well, as it relates to
1: schools, um, I don't think that kids should be forced to wear masks. I personally have a 7-year-old and a 5-year-old my five-year-old cannot keep that mask on very well. She's messing with it all the time. I was at the doctor the other day for her five-year well check. And, um, the doctor told me that she had a kid in with a mask, another kid, a different patient, and he was like chewing on it. And it was just this big slobbery mess. And she thought, well, this is even worse because now he's got his (laughs) respiratory droplets everywhere, you know? So, so I think they're not
0: to mention when they drop it on the bathroom floor and put it back on.
1: Gross. Yeah. So no, I, I don't think kids should be wearing them. They're also hard to breathe through. Like when I have to go to the grocery store and I put on a mask, which by the way, even though I had it, I'm still putting on a mask. So I, I kind of struggle with that a little bit, but um, I put it on as a social contract and I hate wearing it for an hour at the grocery store. I can't ask my kids to wear that for eight hours or or the teachers frankly if schools have some strict guidelines for okay we're going to take everyone's temperature every morning because something like over 90% of people have a, have a fever we're going to take their temperature every morning and we have a zero tolerance policy for any any sort of respiratory issues so-
0: right sort of moving from schools to generally reopening the economy yeah. there's also some studies you know and I just cited the Denver Post data on where covid has killed people here again uh, nursing homes small and spaces mm-hmm. which is what the initially we were being told right it's small and closed space spaces for prolonged periods that you have to worry about so closing parks closing stores small businesses right especially now that we know this I can again I can understand the the panic maybe in the first several weeks but uh, now that we have this data there's just no evidence showing that this right. is where people catch covid and, and die from covid can you tell me what your thoughts are on that so as we as we you know, kind of shift from schools to reopening the economy in general. I think mostly
1: from what I've read, COVID spreads exactly how I got it and exactly how I gave it to my children. Respiratory droplets coming out at you. And I am not a doctor again, but close, sustained contact with someone who is symptomatic in an enclosed space. Um, That's how I got it. That's how my husband got it. That's how my kids got it. That's how my mom got it. So I think that's the majority of it. I am curious to see, and maybe you can, and maybe you'll know, or maybe you can look up. I haven't seen anything about asymptomatic. So well, what I have seen is that the WHO said that asymptomatic spread is very, very rare. Their words, very rare. And then people kind of went to town with that. And then the next day, the WHO came out and said, okay, actually, we take it back. We're not sure. We're walking this, this statement back. They said that statement because it is true. Right. <laughs> then they just worried what people would do with the data. So they decided that it was irresponsible to have said it and they took it back. But they didn't take it back because it's not true. Right. It's still true. Right. So we definitely need to open up the economy. They're going to be, you know, if it's like what Fauci said, 25 to 50 percent of people are asymptomatic, then they're asymptomatic and they're not spreading it. So let's just let's keep moving forward with the economy, with school, with all of those things.
0: Yeah, I agree with you, Jessica. My concern always with shutting down the economy has been we're not studying enough. We're not gathering the data. As far as I know, I don't believe um our state governments, our local governments are gathering the data on the secondary health effects of these closures. So, again, increase in suicides, right. financial ruin, uh, certainly bankruptcies yeah. have been um, very, very high. March, April, May, um, I'm an attorney and several bankruptcy related issues come in the door from small businesses. Mm. And so the the stress and the anxiety caused by all of that, the anxiety caused by the lockdowns, the anxiety caused by lack of social interaction, yeah. frankly, even that all of that, th- that uh, lowers immunity. And then you've got people not going for their cancer screenings. And so maybe right. heart attacks. Yeah. So all of these sort of secondary effects of, uh, of the shutdowns have me concerned. And, and the fact that we're not gathering the data on them so that we can compare that data with the risks associated with COVID is, is startling to me. So I mean, there was a thing that said it, ca- it saved 60 million lives or what was that? I saw I, that. It was it, it was said. more modeling, kind of like the modeling that came out at the beginning. Well, since we don't really know the mortality rate, if it's this, then it can kill this yeah. many people, right. all of which turned out to be false. And modeling is like that. If we our our, our shutdown has saved, you know, X number of lives. Right. I'm not sure if I believe it from a statistical standpoint. Well, and, and not to mention that a good deal of people could be
1: asymptomatic that wouldn't have died anyway. Right. Right. So like if 50% are asymptomatic, then they could have gotten it, but not died. So right. yeah, I don't know. I'm not a statistician, but something's wrong with, with all that math. Right.
0: Jessica, what else? Do you have any other thoughts about the transition where we are at this point in the, in the COVID well, pandemic?
1: I'm frustrated personally with the WHO. Because, you know, they say asymptomatic is rare and then they change it. They say you don't need masks and then they change it. And so if we have a very political kind of partisan divide in this country, red people think this and blue people think this. And then we don't even have a World Health Organization that can give us clear guidelines. There is no way we can all agree on what's
0: right and what's safe. Jessica, I'm glad you mentioned that because I have been very frustrated with the fact that this issue became political, like so many issues, right? So many issues you think wouldn't be political. And uh, and COVID became political. Trump contributed to that. And, yeah. and the media uh, really contributed to that. And so now you sort of see this phenomenon where a lot of people on the right, a lot of the red view kind of agrees with what you and I just talked about. And a lot of people who are more blue view don't. And uh, I've been saddened by that because one of the premises of this podcast is that people need to talk to each other. Yeah. Uh, we need to talk about data. We need to talk about information. And if we can do that, if we can talk about real issues and not get entrenched in our political parties, yeah. towing the party line, then we can actually get things done and uh, and and oftentimes realize that there are a lot of things we agree on. And you and I, during this discussion, I think, have shown that we agree with a lot of people who have the red view. Mm-hmm. Um So it's sad that it became so political and then now people are entrenched in their positions and regardless of what the data says aren't going to want to to move on this because it's not what their party line tells them to do.
1: Yeah in fact my dad got really mad at me when I I shared
0: the article that you would. Uh, It was a compilation of some of the studies we were just talking about. It was written by a conservative but but the studies within it uh, or why I shared it because there's the data and there's the studies. And when I posted that on social media, yeah, I got a lot of hate and not a lot of like, because a lot of my friends are are more on the blue view side. And I think your dad is too. My dad
1: got so, so angry at me about it. Just like, and I think it comes from a a deep fear and a vulnerability that, you know, he's just like, so you're going to just let old people die no, I don't want that. I want, I want older people and immunocompromised people to stay home and stay cocooned. I just don't want to cripple the economy. So I want to let everyone else out. But if you're, if you're compromised, do you stay home? Um, but even he and I couldn't get through it. And, um, my mom, by the way, agrees with me. She is exactly on our our side as well. And is she more, um, red or blue? Both my parents are solidly blue. Okay. And, um, (laughs) my mom agrees with me. My dad does not. And maybe that's the difference of like having had it versus my dad who's just still scared of it. Because when you have had it, then you're like, okay, I'm not, even, I I can't even imagine my mom wouldn't be scared of it again, but maybe f- she's not. I don't know.
0: Yeah, the fear, you know, nothing to fear but fear itself. Uh, as Roosevelt said, uh, the fear is a big factor here. Yeah, I too have suffered some scrutiny in that people maybe think that this viewpoint is insensitive to, right. um, as I pointed out, the majority of these deaths are, uh, happening in nursing homes, assisted living jails. Um, I don't want to diminish that. I, as I mentioned, I think that's very sad because those people are vulnerable and sort of locked up in there. I've got a, a, a good friend whose mom is in a nursing home and I worry that she felt it was insensitive that I was um, a, a proponent of sort of opening back up because it is that population that is affected. But what I'm asking people do to do is just to look at the data. So... What the data that you and I just discussed says is that being out in the community um, without a mask, being outdoors without a mask, being in, in small businesses, in, in, in shops and restaurants and, and parks, um, that is not spreading COVID to vulnerable people in a nursing home. So I don't mean to be insensitive, on the contrary, um, I don't think the data shows that that fear, that connection exists. And so I I was hoping by posting that, that um, people on both sides of the aisle, so to speak, would read the data and be interested in it but no I no. Think, <laughs> no 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 when i sent it to my daddy it did not help yeah everyone's entrenched in their positions yeah. uh political which again is unfortunate but that's uh one of the purposes of this podcast so thank you jessica for joining us uh we had two blue views today but apparently <laughs>
1: right we had purple views we
0: had purple views <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they might have sounded red to some but that's uh again that's how I think we need to discuss these issues is without the entrenchment. And to understand that we all can be
1: on the red side on some issues and on the blue side on other issues, and we can all make up our own minds about
0: how we feel about every individual issue. Right. Which is why it's nice to have a discussion. Yeah. With a lovely, intelligent person like you, Jessica. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. It was fun. Thanks, listeners. Thanks, listeners.